actually, at this point, we we're going to have a, uh, a skit, kind of a monologue skit, put on by Tony Na- Nasvig. Um, he's a, done a lot of skits and stuff. The stuff's really good, and uh, I was really looking forward to having that. But he called me up last night, and he had 102 fever and, uh, and laryngitis, and it's just hard to do that stuff when you've got 102 fever and laryngitis. So we had a nice Christmas thing here. When, just didn't fall. Didn't, so I told him that I would uh, try somehow to, I was going to just give a little five-minute meditation, but maybe I can expand it to 10 or 15, so we'll see. That's always been hard for me, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 all right, yeah, right. I, I wanted this morning, uh, for my Christmas passage, for my Christmas message, surprisingly enough, this will shock all of you who have been here for any length of time, but I like to read out of Ephesians chapter 5. <laughs> Those of you who are visiting here, I want to welcome you. Um, my name is Greg Boyd, by the way, and uh, yeah, I, this, is, this is a real tie, but I own one other one, so this is not the only tie I own. But I have been in the book of Ephesians for some time, and actually in chapter 5 for some time. But this is one incredible book. And so for my Christmas text, I want to take a, a verse out of here. I've actually, it's the next verse that we're going to deal with. It starts in verse 30, and it goes to verse 32. Where the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesian believers, We are members of his body. The we refers to the church. All who uh, put their faith in Jesus Christ. The his body refers to the body of Christ. And what Paul is saying there, he is really is saying this, is we are part of his body. This is why he says that when a husband loves his wife, he's loving his own body. You cannot separate the two. They are one. And that's why he says in verse 31, for this reason, he's quoting Genesis chapter 224 now, for this reason, a man will leave his father and a mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. Think about that. The two, that's what happens in marriage. The two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The two will be united. They'll become part of each other's body. They'll become one flesh. And lo and behold, He's not talking about earthly marriage at all. Well, he is, but what he's primarily talking about is Christ and the church. And I believe this morning that if we understand this principle, then we're going to understand what Christmas is all about. Let's pray. Father, let your word come alive here this morning. I pray, Lord God, that it would receive divine energy. I pray, Lord, most of all, that you'd cut through the fog of the wealth of deceptions that our culture has spun around this holiday. I pray, Lord God, that you would wake us up from the hypnotic spell that is cast on us, that makes us consider this just to be an ordinary thing, a customary thing, a cute thing. We get used to this message, Lord, but if we really see what is being said here, we could never get used to this. It could never cease to astound us. But Lord, in the, in the, in the natural, we, we, we just get used to it. We're even bored by it. So, Father, I pray that you'd wake us up. Give us a holy slap on the face this morning, Lord, and, and, and help us to hear the good news for the goodness that it really is. But you've got to do that by your power, by your spirit. I can't do it with my words, so have control here, Lord. Just have control, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. This year, I finally remembered to do something that I've been intending to do for about five or six years. I ordered Mr. Magoo's Christmas carol. 
<laughs> oh, did, did you know that I like that show that much? Oh, it's my favorite one. You knew that. I, I, and they haven't played it on TV for at least two decades. It's not in movie theaters. Once in a while, it will show up in some obscure theater. Like they showed it in the, in the Science Museum in Minneapolis about eight years ago. And I went to go see it. I love Magoo's Christmas Carol. It's like one of those, you know, you have as a kid certain cartoons or maybe songs or rituals that just really made an impression on you. And they're kind of what Christmas is all about for you. You, you know, it's when you hear those songs or see those specials, you, you, you go back to childhood. It, it resurrects all these old feelings and stuff, and that's what Christmas is all about. It's, it's nostalgia. That's why we get so mushy-gushy, feely-touchy during this time of year. Well, for me, Magoo's Christmas Carol is just like one of those magical things, and, and, and uh, it just, for whatever reason, it really hit me strong as a kid. But I haven't seen it except occasionally for about 10, 15, maybe 20 years. And finally this year I went out and, and, and I, I found you could special order these things, so I special ordered it, and now I have my own Magoo's Christmas Carol, and I've watched it a couple times here in the last just couple days, and now I feel like my Christmas is fulfilled. This is what I'm waiting for. There's a lot of, how many people here have ever seen Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol? Less than half, less than a third. Either this is a very young congregation or I'm much older than I thought. This is the early 60s we're talking about. And there's some beautiful songs here. Winter was warm. La-da-da-da-da-da. Winter was warm. There's that song in there. And uh, uh, we'll have a jolly Christmas just knowing we're together. That's in there. Uh, if you, I don't know if you can recognize it or not, but that's in there. Um, Jingle, jingle, coins as they tingle make such a lovely sound. That's in there. The best one, and this is kind of what my, my leading is all about here, is it's a really touching, poignant song that's sung by Ebenezer Scrooge as a child. The Ghost of Christmas Past. This is, by the way, a Christmas Carol is a version of, of Charles Dickens' Christmas Carol. And Scrooge plays, uh, or uh, um, uh, Magoo plays Ebenezer Scrooge. And he goes back and sees himself as a little child because the angel's trying to teach him uh, how he got to be so miserable, basically. So he goes back, and he goes to this little schoolroom. You know, you know the, some of you are going, yeah, you know it's coming. And there's this little boy there, all alone in the school uh, house. On Christmas Eve, he's been abandoned. And uh, even as a kid, this made me feel so sad. And then the little boy starts singing, and Ebenezer Scrooge, the adult, starts singing with him. And they, they, he sings, Hand for a Hand, you know the song, was planned for the world. Hand for a hand was planned for the world. Why don't my fingers reach? goes like that. Millions of grains of sand in the world. Why such a lonely beach? Where is a voice to answer mine back? Where are two shoes that will click to my clack? I'm all alone in the world. They liked it. When you're alone, alone in the world. No. It's a touching piece. It's a, you know, it's a touching piece. And here's why it's touching. We all know, we try sometimes to be an island. We, we, we try to do that, but we don't do it very well. We try to isolate ourselves and protect ourselves and build all sorts of barriers around us and walls around us. But we're never good at that. 
However many times you've been burned by people and want to be able to live self-sufficiently and alone, and a lot of people, maybe some here in this crowd this morning, have tried to do that. However hard you try and however good you think you are at doing that on the outside, you know on the inside, in your heart of hearts, that there's something profoundly wrong with that. There's something very painful about being alone, especially this time of year when we're bombarded with the Christmas myth that everybody has somebody, a family, a loved one to be with. And there's something so sad about being alone because we know, whether you're a believer here this morning or not, you know that you were made to be in relationship with others. Our heart is profoundly out of sync. It's profoundly alienated. It's, it's, something's very wrong and it knows that when we're not together with others, we were made, we understand, and from the biblical perspective, we're made in the image of God, and God is a social being, so we are made socially. Our hearts were made to be touched by other hearts. Our souls were made to be touched and even interpenetrated with other souls. We were made to have somebody look into our eyes and see us as we are and to say, I love you and I'll always be with you. God looked upon human beings in Genesis chapter 2 and said, it's not, it's not good for human beings to be, alone, to be alone. So that's why he gave us each other. We were made to be in relationship. In other words, we were made for love. We were made for love. To know that there's somebody with us, somebody who affirms us. There's something in our heart that wants to be as close as possible to somebody else and wants them to be as close as possible to us. Even to the point of interpenetration, even to the point of having our lives intersect. It's, it, it's, it's capsulized, this is the only place it's ever found, but it's expressed physically in the act of marriage, the one flesh act of marriage. But there's something in the heart, whether it's in marriage or outside the marriage, that wants that kind of relationship, not physically, but spiritually, to be with somebody. To be known by somebody, to be affirmed by somebody, to be loved, to be as close as possible to somebody else, and to have them to be as close as possible to us. And when that does not happen, there's a very profound sense of emptiness. But what we've been seeing the last couple of weeks in Ephesians chapter 5 is this. Even when you have those relationships with other people, we're still not fulfilled, are we? Because we weren't just meant to be loved by people. In fact... Even more profoundly, even more fundamentally, we were meant to be loved by our Creator. And there's something in the depth of our heart, as much as we want to have other people love us, there's something in the depth of our heart that says, I need my Creator, who really knows what I'm about, to affirm my worth, to love me, to get as close as possible to me. And so what we've seen the last couple weeks in Ephesians chapter 5 is this, that God, who is love, creates beings such as us, who need His love. He creates beings, and this is who we are, whether we admit it or not, that in the depth of our heart, we hunger for His love. We crave His love. We're thirsty for His love. Love is to the soul what air is to the lungs. We've got to have it. And when we don't have it, even if we've got love from other people, there's something missing. There's something's empty. There's something profoundly wrong. God, who is love, longs to pour His love into us, and so He creates us as a vacuum precisely so that he can pour his love into us. And what moves history we've seen? What is the reason for the whole thing, the, the whole drama, the point of the whole drama that we call the creation of this world, the history of this world, the point of the whole thing is for God to express and to give his love in creatures like us who desperately need his, need his love. What drives history, what is the most fundamental pulse of our being is love. Because God is love and he creates us like that. We hunger and thirst for that. The way the Bible portrays it, it's like this. 
God wants to give to his son a bride. That's simply saying the same thing in a different way. God, in a very real sense, creates beings who he wants to be his bride. He wants to be, he wants to be the groom of this bride. He wants to give himself, pour himself out, become, and the Bible's not afraid to use this language. It uses it here in Ephesians 5, and it uses it in the Song of Solomon. He wants to become as close to us as we can possibly ima- imagine. The analogy that's used here is the analogy of, of, of physical relationships in marriage. Christ wants to become one flesh with us. One flesh, united, members of his body, as close as possible with us. Many people think that God is some distant being, way up there, far, far away, you know, and prayer is like a long-distance phone call, you know, and, and uh, you have a kind of a formal, cordial relationship with God, you know, once in a while, once a week, once a month, once a year, or whatever. You tip your hat to the, to the supreme being, and you know, nothing's too personal here, nothing too you know, emotional here or anything, but you want to be okay with the supreme being. But he's way up there, far away, not really that concerned with what's going on down here. And there is no idea, short of atheism, that could be more mistaken in terms of your idea about what God is, who God is, and what he desires. From a biblical perspective, God desires to be one with us. To be one with us. To be as close as possible with us. Not because of something he gets out of us, but just because of the worth he sees in us. He wants to pour his life out for us. The Christmas story is about this. This saying that Jesus Christ wants to be one flesh with us, with his church. He, the church is simply all those, his bride, who will say, yeah, I'll marry you, I'll follow you. Yeah, that sounds like a good deal. That's his bride. That's those who put their trust in Christ. Those are his bride. And the Bible says that in order to be united to his bride, Christ really now, not just a metaphor, not just poetry, but really became one flesh with us. John 1.14 says that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word, God Almighty, became a human being. Hebrews 2.14 says it like this. It's an incredible passage. That he was made in every respect, in every respect, just as we are. Why? Because that's what love does. Love dives headlong into the inner soul of a person and says, as you are, I want to be with you. And so God becomes a human being and he dives headlong into our human existence and everything that we are he becomes he takes upon himself our limitations he takes upon himself our flesh he takes upon himself our dependency he takes upon himself our weakness and our frailty and he even takes upon himself our sin the bible says he takes upon him on the cross of christ second corinthians 5 says he takes upon himself all of our sin and all the punishment for that sin Because when you love another person, you don't first say, clean up your act and then I'll love you. You get inside of their life as they are, and that's in part what cleans up their life. And so the Bible says that he was born in a manger. He wasn't born in some palace, folks. He could have done that. He was born in a manger. And we like to pretty that up around Christmas time. But if you think about what a manger is, it's a barn. And you've been in barns. Well, this is a barn that's just like that, but it's overcrowded. This is a barn that's connected to a hotel. This is a barn that's not clean very much. This is a barn that's going to stink to high heaven. It's a barn that's going to have a lot of donkey and cow manure all over the place. It's a barn where the, 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 the hay is going to be smelly. And it's going to be gooey. And Jesus is laid in a manger. A manger is a feeding trough. A feeding trough is where there's animal spit. Jesus is wrapped up in swaddling clothes and put on a... On, on, in, in, in spit, animal spit, in a feeding trough, in a barn that stinks, on a cold night. When God becomes a man, he doesn't just become a king man, he becomes 
A man in the heart of humanity, in the heart of our sin, the heart of our rejection, the heart of our rebellion, the heart of everything that makes life miserable down here and below and that separates us from God. He dives headlong into it because that's what love does and God is love. And that's what the whole thing is about. Now see, when we see that, if you've got a regenerate heart, if you've got a heart that's really been softened by the Holy Spirit, when you hear that, there's got to be something that says, I think I'm in love. I, I, I know I'm in love. He did that for me? I only guess he did that for me, right? For me. It wasn't just for humanity in general. It's for me. And it's when we understand that truth that our lives become transformed. It's when, you know, I have admitted many times before, and I'll admit it again, that I, on my own effort, on my own willpower, am not, I don't do holiness well. I, I, I'm not a good rule keeper on my own. I don't do righteousness real well. I'm not, a, by nature, a religious person. I don't do the religious thing well on my own. I'm not particularly loving on my own willpower. I'm not particularly a nice guy even on my own willpower. But... When I see what Jesus Christ has done for me, when I begin to see the beauty and the glory of the incarnation that leads throughout his ministry and leads him to the cross, when I begin to see what I am worth before God, and I begin to see his beauty, and then I begin to see my beauty, there's something inside that says, I want to live for this guy. I want to live for this God. I want to follow him. There's something in my heart and in the heart of every regenerate person. Though there may be a lot of struggles that you're in, at the core of your being, there's something that says, I want to be your bride, and I want will follow you anywhere. I do. When you invite me to be a, a spouse of yours, I say I do, and I will follow you anywhere. And the motivation for living a godly life, folks, is not to get God to love us. The motivation for living a godly life is because you finally begin to realize that he already loves you. And that's what begins to clean up your act. That's what begins to move you out of where you're at. When God, when you understand, when you see and experience God's love for you as you are, You begin to become something different than you are. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 5, Ephesians 5, he says, Christ died in order to make us holy. He didn't die because we were holy. If we were holy, he wouldn't have had to die. (laughs) Think about it. He died to make us holy. And that's why in Revelation 19, on that beautiful marriage supper of the Lamb, we've been talking about the last couple, you know, I never have gotten to preach on that verse, but I've been meaning to for a while. But in the marriage supper of the Lamb, that great feast, when the marriage is finally consummated, and we had the great party in heaven, the Bible says that the bride is dressed up in robes of righteousness. The robes of righteousness are the righteous deeds that she has done, but she doesn't dress up in righteousness in order to become the bride. She's already the bride. Christ makes her the bride. But when she understands what a bride she is, she wants to wear the best outfit possible. And when she sees the beauty of the groom, she says, man, I want to please him. I want to dress up for the party because I know what I'm worth because of what he's done for me. And I want to dress like it. And so it is in our life. This is what transforms us. And if there are people who are not transformed, it's because, it's not necessarily because they're not trying hard enough or because they haven't got a formula. It's because they don't see the beauty of who Jesus is. Here's the final point I want to make this morning. The truth that God became a man, the truth of this Christmas stuff will never, ever transform you as a beautiful bride if it's primarily a once-upon-a-time story. Follow me here. Our culture right now, Christmas is, is kind of a... Christmas has become a cute thing. This is, this is what bugs me about it, to be honest with you. I get really bugged by this. The story, the manger, the hay, the angels, the shopping stars and all that, it's become a cute thing. It's a quaint thing. It's a nice thing. It's a nostalgic thing. It's a pretty thing. It's a feely, touchy thing. And I'm so glad that once a year we can think about it. 
And when Christ is mentioned, it's in this, and that's not very often. You know, last year, I just heard this on the radio, there were 75 Christmas specials that were done on TV. Two of them made a passing reference to Christ. So what you got is a whole culture that celebrates Christmas but doesn't know why. It's kind of like, oh, hi, Merry Christmas, you know, it's up with people day, happy earth day, good weather day, or something. And there's this little Jesus that we can't figure out, but, you know, thank God for that, too. It's lost. And then when we do mention it, I went to my daughter's Christmas uh, stuff, and, and they sang one song that actually said Glorious Deus, which in Latin means glory to God. But all the other ones were about Santa Claus and presents and this materialistic, crass stuff, and it bugged me. It was so shallow. Where was I? Yes. Uh, they're a culture. Yeah, I'm harping on a culture. And so what happens is, 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 this is what's really concerning, is that the whole thing turns into something that's cute. But, but here, here's the thing. Get this now. Either this stuff is true or it's not. Okay, that's kind of clear. Either it's true or it's not. If it's false, if this is just a story, just a myth, we really ought to get clear on that point. Let's, let's be out loud about this. Let's proclaim it to be a myth. And let's find some other reason to celebrate December 25th. Maybe it's like this ad in the paper. There's this church that really advertises this. Whether you celebrate the sun, the birth of the sun, S-U-N, or the sun, S-O-N, come and have Christmas with us. Well, maybe we just maybe should celebrate winter solstice. That will make your day. Let's give presents for winter's, the sun solstice, whatever that means even. Let's be all out. If it's a myth, let's be all out with it. It's a myth. But if it's true, if this is true, if, if God Almighty, we're talking God now, if he became a human being, became this little baby in this manger, in a feeding trough, full of animal spit, in order to, to save me, then this has got to be anything but something that we celebrate and think about once a year. If this is true, folks, this is the most astounding, dynamic, powerful truth that has ever been spoken. If this is true, then next to this truth, there is nothing that really is important. If this is true, then the reason why you exist is, is, is right here. The purpose for existence is right here. And what your life has got to be centered on is right here. If, if, if Christmas is true then the last thing Christmas should be is the time, the once a year, that we begin to think about what Jesus means to us. If this is true, then we are to be married to him. If God has, in fact, poured himself out, given himself, laid down his life for us, then the only appropriate response is to reciprocate and do the same and lay out your life before him. In other words, if, this, if you understand the meaning of Christmas, then you understand that its meaning isn't found once a year. But it's got to be something you live and you breathe and you think every day of your life. It's like an anniversary, folks. You know, it's nice to have an anniversary and to celebrate your marriage once a year. But if you only think about your marriage once a year, <laughs> you ain't got much to celebrate. You don't know what marriage is if you think about, oh, you know, oh yeah, I forgot, you know, 364 days a year I'm single, but on, on, on this day I want to think about my marriage. Nah, it doesn't work like that, and so it is with this season. If this is true, folks, then there's nothing else next to it that is really important in life. This has got to be the center of what it's all about right here. And thank God that there's one day where we just, we just pick out a day and we celebrate it as the birthday of Christ. But if you understand what this all means, when you're married to somebody, you wake up in the morning with them, you go to bed with them, you live your life with them. If you're married to Jesus Christ, it's something that you live, you breathe, you think, becomes, it forms your identity, and that's what it's all about. Let me close with two things here. Number one, if you're here this morning and you're not a believer, that is to say you've never had a marriage relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe there's this distant thing. Listen, I just want to invite you. I want to extend you the, the invitation that Jesus Christ himself extends to you. And it's simply this. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? Will you marry me? And I hope in my heart that you say, I do. 
And all that means is simply saying, as you say in marriage vows, I pledge to thee my life. I give you my life. And then begin to talk to him on a daily basis. Tell someone about it. Begin to study the Bible. Begin to, to read the Word. Begin to enter into prayer life. Begin to fellowship with God's people. Begin to make this a marriage relationship. And I encourage you to do it this morning. You can do it in, the, in your own seat. You can come up here as we're going we're to start worshiping again here in a second. You can come up front here and do it. It doesn't matter. Just do it. The second thing as the band, as the worship team comes out, you guys want to come out here, is this. When the bride is told by the groom, I love you, and everything Jesus Christ does is in one way or another simply saying that, I love you. The only appropriate response is to say, I love you back. And in the end, the purpose for Christ's love, this one flesh, this, this close as possible relationship that Christ has with us, the reason for it is simply to have the relationship. It's an end in and of itself. It doesn't have a higher goal. The love is an end in and of itself. And what we'll, what we'll be doing throughout eternity is simply hearing the Lord say, I love you, and doing a Song of Solomon job like we saw last week, saying, I love you, you're beautiful, you're altogether lovely. And we say back to him, you're beautiful, you're altogether lovely. And throughout eternity we're going to be doing that, and we are to be doing that right now. Like in a marriage, you need to have times that you set aside, and you're just with one another. You have the fire going, the music going, and you say, I love you, back and forth, and you love one another, you become one. So also, the, what the bride has to do, if you understand what this is about, in the light of the beauty of the, of the groom, is to begin to say, I love you, over and over again. The Bible calls that worship. Worship. And so we're going to end this Christmas celebration, really on the only appropriate way to end any Christmas celebration, and it's what we do every week, it's what we do every day. We're just going to love and romance our Lord Jesus Christ. I encourage you for the next 10 minutes or so to focus on Jesus Christ, Think about how beautiful he really is, what he's done for you, how beautiful you are if you're a believer. If you're not a believer, become a believer and then think this thought, how beautiful you are because of what he's done for you. And let's give him all the glory that is due his name.